Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. College and seminary. I went to Bible College at 16. I graduated at 20. I got a master's degree at 22. And you can imagine um, what I was, you might not be able to imagine what I was like, but my wife refers to it as I was, I was a sweater vest wearing jerk. That's what it was like, okay? <laughs> and I was looking for a job and I thought I was great and awesome and I'd have to turn the jobs down at churches at 22 years old. So I had all the education, none of the self-awareness, none of the experience. And uh, somebody suggested I meet with this V-neck wearing artist church planner in the city of Annapolis and his church planning coach. And so we actually met right across the street from here when there used to be a subway right across the street from where we're sitting, right? We met at the subway and Joey Thomasoni and Mark McGeever told me some really hard things about who I was. And they said, dude, you are absolutely not ready to be a pastor. You should go get a normal Joe job and show up to church. They said, we'll feel like, we're going to tell you when we feel like you're ready to serve because you idolize ministry so much right now. And they really loved me and they cared for me. And they told me some truths that nobody else really had the guts to tell me. And that week, I ended up getting a nine-to-five job. I showed up to church on Sunday. It was 15 people above Kilwins in this church plant called Downtown Hill. And I was very angry with God at that point in my life. And I was angry with God because when, when I was in Bible college seminary, I worked hard, okay? I didn't play Halo or Call of Duty or Guitar Hero that had just come out, all right? I was studying Greek and Hebrew because I wanted to be a pastor to serve God, right? And, and I really thought if I could only be a pastor, then I'll be okay. And I kind of had this perspective of, God, if I did all this for you, why can't you just do this for me? Why can't you just give me what I want, right? Because I've done all, I made all these sacrifices for you. Why aren't you giving me what I want? And what happened was, is that as I began to come here, um, I, we started showing up at Joey's house when he lived on Poplar Avenue, his basement, 5 a.m. every Wednesday morning. And I began to read the scriptures with a group of men. And what God began to do in my life is he began to change my heart by reading the scriptures, not for somebody else, not to preach a sermon, but because I felt like I needed this. I needed this in my life. And what God began to show me is that I had a misplaced identity. I had placed my identity in ministry. I had placed my identity in serving God instead of truly being his son and resting in what he's done for me. And he was showing me my misplaced identity in ministry and how that misplaced identity was generating bitterness towards God when I didn't get what I wanted from him. And so that's what we're going to touch on today. And and we're going to look at how... When you do the right things, you feel like you do the right things, but it feels like you don't get what you need from God. How do we navigate that? How do we process that bitterness? And I think the answer to it relates to our identity. And uh, I want to define what identity is. See, from my perspective, the identity is having an understanding of who we are and an understanding of who God is. And the merging, kind of the ven of those two things, knowing who I am and who God is, that's our identity right? So if a misappropriation or understanding of who we are or misunderstanding of who God is, our, our identity becomes marred. But, but when we grasp our identity, who am I and who is God? When we grasp our identity, I think that, and so that's what we're talking about today. If we grasp our identity, we can grow into maturity. So our main point for today is this, that God pursues us in our rebellion or religion and invites us into our truest identity. 
being in need and seeing how our deepest need is met in the arms of a compassionate, pursuing father. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So let, let me bring us to a framework for our narrative today, which David introduced last week. And that's actually Luke 15, going back to verse 1. This is kind of teeing us up for today. Now the tax collectors and sinners, they were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So they told them, so he told them these parables, right? So that these Pharisees, the religious people, were upset because Jesus is hanging out with sinners, with people that don't follow the rules, that don't believe that he's the Messiah, that don't know the Old Testament, that didn't go to Sunday school and saw him on a flannel graph, right? That's our modern context, right? So that's, he's, he's loving hanging out with those people, and the religious people hated it. And David said last week these amazing words. I really like how David phrased it last week. He said, the Pharisees had a poor view of God, and we too are often haunted by an image of a distant God too. I loved that phrase that David said. We are haunted by an image of a distant God that wants us to simply follow the rules. And so Jesus, in response to the Pharisees, tells these three stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and we're coming to the lost son today. And, and this is how it begins in verse 11. And he said, there's a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that's coming to me, and he divided his property between them. Now, if you have a paper Bible, or even if you're using an app, there's little subtitles, right, on each section. You can probably see that, right? There's little subtitles. And the subtitle for this one, in mine, and probably most of yours too, is the parable of the prodigal son. And I actually think that this is a little bit of a misnomer. Because um, most people focus on the rebellion of the younger, rebellious son. But it would be a great mistake, and we're actually missing the point of this story, if we only focus on one son. Because it says, this is a story of what? The father had two sons, right? And actually, Jesus is presenting this because we are meant to compare and contrast the younger son's response and the older son's response. And and we're meant to compare how they're responding. And, And really, if we don't do this, we're going to miss how God is leading us to reshape our identity, how we understand the view of ourselves and how we view God. Now, Jesus is, in these stories, he's reframing who God is for public consumption. And I really want us to focus on the older son and the story of the older son. So here's a recap of the, we got to compare them both, right? But I want to recap the story of the younger son first, because it says the father has two sons, right? So the younger son, he first comes to his father and he, dad, give me my share of the estate. Now, if you were a uh, first century Jewish person and you were listening to Jesus telling the story, uh, you would have been shocked both at the younger son, but also at the father's response. So the younger son essentially says, dad, I wish you were dead. I want to get my inheritance now. What we see about the younger son is that he wants what his father could give him. He does not want his father. He doesn't want his dad. He wants what his dad can give him. And uh, of course, if you've been through Gospel for Life, you know the first session of that. We talk about the story, uh, this story in Gospel for Life session one. So I've been going through this pretty much every six weeks for about five years since we moved to to Nashville, in the Nashville area. And and we asked the question, what could have been motivating the younger son, right? And so some, some say it may have been success, the appearance of success might have been independence. It might have been having a position of status. He's not a son anymore. He can be his, have his own wealth. It, many things might have driven the son to do this. But from the text, it's clear that he wants his father's money, but he doesn't want his father. 
And really what he does is he wants to be rid of the family, which is exactly what he does. He picks up his bags and he moves out. He doesn't want to be with his family anymore. He wants to, he wants to be independent. But, but this also tells us, the response tells us something about the father too, because he does. And now remember, they didn't have bank accounts that back then. He couldn't walk down to SunTrust or Bank of America and pull out a third of his, the third of his whole wealth, right? And just simply give it to his son. Um, the, the, back then, when you would get an inheritance, the older son would always get a double portion, right? So if you had two sons, you divide it three ways, and the older son would get two portions, and the younger son would get one portion. So, so to divide a third of his property would have meant that this man had to rip apart his life. He would have to go sell cattle. He'd have to go sell land. Remember, the, the inheritance was in the land, right? And so he'd have to sell all of that. Not only that, but he was selling future earning potential, right? You have cattle to make more cattle. Like you get cattle together, they make more cattle. And so that you think if the father is younger, right? It, he had maybe had another 20 years left to go. He's losing all the future earning potential of all of those things that he sold. So he's putting himself at a lower status in the community. And when that word property is a very interesting word, the word property is bios in the Greek. That's where we get our word biology from. It means life. The father ripped apart his life to give his son what he asked for. And so we see that the younger son then goes to a foreign country. He squanders everything, a famine hit. He's in need and he's in a pigsty. And then it says he came to his senses and he decides that he will pay his father back by being a hired servant. Essentially saying, at least he'll give me some food. Now, he wants to go home, but he doesn't feel worthy to be in the house. And so he sets his goals very low, doesn't he? He doesn't want to be a son anymore. And my friends, after looking at this story, um, this is a little bit of Josh's box of thoughts here. So this isn't like what the text is saying. This is Josh's box of thoughts. I think the son is still selfish. I honestly think he is. I still, because he doesn't really want to reconcile with his father, does he? He doesn't want to do the hard work to reconcile and be involved in the family again. He just wants to be an independent contractor. That's what he wants. He just wants some food. He wants some money. And so he's going to use his father even in this way. He doesn't really want to do the hard work to come back into the family. But at least he's coming back. At least he's coming back home. So we see the father sees his son coming from a long way off. He's compassionate, right? He has this compassion. He runs towards him. And he embraces him. He kisses him. He gives him a robe and sandals. And he gives him a signet ring. And that's very important um, because the signet ring was like the checkbook. Okay, so back then, like we said, you don't have a checkbook, you don't have a bank. And so the signet ring would have marked, if you were purchasing something, they would write it out and they would put some wax on it and you would press that signet ring into the paper. And that was like, you are signing, you're putting your family on for whatever that IOU is, right? And so that is significant because he's giving him his status again as a son. And he's giving him access to the family money again after he squandered a third of his property. The father is essentially saying, you're my son, and I'm going to confer all the rights of sonship onto you by my actions, not by yours. That's what the father is saying. And then he celebrates by killing the fattened calf that's reserved for special occasions. And my friends, the father in this story is meant to be a mirror, a picture of God, our father. And what he's saying, and this might be the story for you today, and maybe this is the story for you, because I did want to recap this for us, because this might be you today, the younger brother. My friends, the story for us is this with the younger brother. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, 
no matter how far you have strayed, God is loving. He is compassionate. He is gracious towards you. That means he gives you unearned, undeserved favor. That's what grace means. That is who he is. He is a father that wants to bring you in again at no cost of your own. And he will make sure that it is of no cost of your own. So that's the message of the younger brother. Now, it seems like everything is resolved, right? The family reunited. The younger son comes back home. The father welcomes him back. They can live in this new reality, the relationship between father and son, right? Well, no, not quite. There's a second son. There's another character in the story that we have to meet and we have to engage with. Now, what if I told you that even though the bulk of the text is focused on the younger son, the actual point of the story of Jesus is shaping this whole narrative is actually meant for us to focus on the elder son. See, remember going back to the lost sheep and the lost coin as David preached on last week. Jesus was speaking to insiders. He wasn't speaking to the rebels, but to the religious people the people who used to be found but were now lost that were then being pursued, the people that thought they had it together. He's speaking to the Pharisees. So the theme is God seeking and finding us, which he actually does not do with the younger son. Remember, the younger son's coming back. He has compassion and he meets him, but he doesn't go grab the younger son from the foreign country and bring him back. But what does he do? He goes and pursues the older son which is the point of what the lost coin and the lost sheep did. So after the story concludes the younger son, then, then we actually see the, the elder son's prodigal journey is beginning. And that's where we're going to focus on here. Luke 15, verse, uh, right, right at the end of verse 24. And they began to celebrate, right? So they're celebrating. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, your brother has come, your father has killed calf because he had received him back safe and sound. So there's a celebration happening. The older son is in the fields working the family land that is now a third less than what it used to be, right? The earning potential diminished. And he is doing what he had always been told that he should do and what is the right thing to do. Stay faithful, stay at home, work the family land. He is doing his job. He's filling his end of the bargain, right? So that's what's happening when we come to the older son. But he was angry. Verse 28, and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. That's the pursuit of the father, right? That's the following the theme of the lost coin and the lost sheep. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? Can you hear the bitterness in the, in, in the words here? See, the older son's response to his brother's return, it isn't grace, it's anger. And we actually see on a deeper level, it is exposing the resentment and the bitterness that the older son has always had for his father. See, he really, like the younger son, wanted nothing to do with his family. The older son wants nothing to do with his family. And in this statement, he is disowning on a very deep level. He refused to go in, right? He doesn't call his dad his father. He says, look you. And then he doesn't call the younger brother his brother. And he doesn't call his father their father. He says, this son of yours. Is there a way that he could have further removed himself from the family? You see how he's pulling out. He's pulling back. He's disowning. He's like, you're not my dad. This isn't my brother. This son of yours has done this. And there's two things he addresses. 
you never gave me a young goat, and you killed the fattened calf for him. You never gave me a young goat. My friends, he thought the father was withholding. Look, I've served you. You didn't give me a young goat even to celebrate with my friends. You see, this doesn't create the rift. This exposes the rift that has always been there between father and son. It exposes the bitterness that the younger son has always had as he's been working and tilling the soil. My friends, the first point when he said, you never gave me a young goat, he's doubting the father's love. Do you love me? Not only that, but he says, you killed the fattened calf for him? Now, what's interesting about the fattened calf, it's mentioned three times in this text, which is really kind of interesting. This is central to the story. The fattened calf was like a huge astronomical cost. This isn't like you have a birthday and you kill the fattened calf. This is like you're feeding this thing, voice foods, and it's years that you're fattening this calf up. Like if you sacrifice the fattened calf, that's not even a birthday celebration. That's like a whole city party. That's like everybody in the city would have been invited to this thing. This is like a big, big, big deal. This is years of investment. This would have been the greatest day of the father's life when he says, okay, we, we've been saving this thing for years and years. This was part of the older son's inheritance. This was part of what he was supposed to get. And so you see how the older brother doesn't care about his father. He cares that his father is using his inheritance in a way that he doesn't approve of. You're giving him access to money. You're celebrating a party for him. My friends, he doubts the father's judgment. So he says, you've never given me a young goat. Do you love me? You killed the fattened calf for him. You have poor judgment and you're misusing my inheritance, dad. This bitterness towards his father, my friends, does it ring familiar in your own life? Does it ring familiar in your own experience? When you see others who haven't been as good as you, as good as you, getting more than you, when it seems like God might forget all of the good work you've done, my friends, I know it rings a bell with me. It rang a bell with me across the street at Subway 12 years ago. It still rings a bell with me today, last week, struggling with planting a small church, not seeing it grow the way that I want to, right? Not having the appearance of success. Man, it, it is struggle with bitterness for me, and I'm going to be straight up with you. We all struggle with this in some way, shape, or form, I believe. So how do we resolve this bitterness? And are, aren't we seeking to be fair? Doesn't this sound fair? Like, God, I've done all this for you. Why can't you do this for me? Why did this sickness happen? Why am I struggling with these things? My friends, it goes back to our identity. And really the key for this in the text is, is the fattened calf. You go back to it. Because what we see in the older brother, he cares about the father's things. But he doesn't care about the father's heart. And all he can see is his share diminishing because of his younger brother's return. See, the younger brother is the traditional depiction of sin, that rebellious, right? But the older brother is kind of the traditional depiction of religion and rule following. There's two sons, but both have been alienated from the father. Two sons, both want the father's things, but not the father. Two sons have both been using the father and trying to control and manipulate that relationship to get what they want. The younger brother manipulated his father's relationship by leaving and disobeying. The younger brother manipulated, the older brother manipulated the relationship by staying and obeying. And the older brother said these words. He said, I never disobeyed you. Now, interesting. His sin is not what's keeping him from the father. It's actually a perception of his own righteousness that's keeping him from his father. That's what's surfacing the bitterness. 
And of course he was self-deceptive. He would have to be perfect to have never disobeyed his father, but right, he perceived he never disobeyed and that was keeping him from truly loving and having a loving and a giving and receiving relationship with his father. And my friends, Jesus is showing us both as we compare and contrast this, that they both are without a relationship with the father, but the older son is the most deceived. He's the most far from the father at the end of the story because we don't know where he's going. The younger son is restored. The younger son is restored and restored. The older brother is unknown. And the question is, what's the difference between the two? The difference between the two is 15, 17. But the, talk about the younger brother. But when he came to himself, the younger son came to himself. He had a revelation. He saw himself for who he truly was, desperate and in need with nowhere else to turn. And that desperation, that understanding of his deep need is what pulled him back to his father. He came to an understanding of who he was. And then when he came to his father, the father showed him who the father was, right? The father showed the love and the compassion and the grace. You see this identity. He was beginning to see his identity clearer when he saw his need. And then he came to his father and his father showed him who his father was. And then he saw identity clear. And this is what leads us to how we connect with us today. Who are you? And who is God? That's the question. Do you overtly rebel against God and seek to get what you want through rebellion? Or do you subversively follow God's rules to try to get what you want through religion? My friends, if you're here today, I'm not saying all of us are here, but I think many of us might be in that second camp. And I know I am more in that second camp. And actually, to be quite honest, we're probably all in those camps at different stages in our life, right? And maybe even right now, we might be the younger brother in certain areas of our life that we just kind of want to self-indulge, but there might be other areas of our life where we're following Jesus with the wrong motivation. So it's not binary. But many of us in here might be in the second camp where it's like, I try hard, I go to church, I pray and read my Bible. God, after all I've done for you, why is this happening to me? Why is this cancer? Why is my loved one sick? Why did I lose my job? Why is my relationship with my spouse not where it wants to be? Why is my children running away from the Lord? All of those things. My friends, if this is the language of your heart, then Jesus is your boss, but he's not your savior, friend, or father. Jesus is your boss. Because there needs to be a tit-for-tat relationship there. You're seeking to be your own savior. All the morality and religion is just a way to manipulate God to get what you want. My friends, we can miss God in as much in religion as we can in rebellion because it's really easy to say as we're following the rules, man, look at all those, those other people are bad. It's really hard to sense this and say, I think I'm too put together to really need Jesus. And do you see how that misses both our identity and we actually miss the Father's identity in the midst of that too? The closest people to Jesus in the scriptures were those who recognized their sin and brokenness and turned to him as their only hope. So the gospel says that we believe God to get God, to resemble him, to be loved by him, and then to love him and others in response. God, all of his glory, all of his beauty, fully revealed in the person of Jesus. He is the prize of the Christian. But often we want and crave the Father's benefits and would frankly prefer what God gives us as opposed to getting God. So as we look and see ourselves, the first step here to coming into more greater alignment with our true identity is seeing and acknowledging that our heart's true intentions with God are often self-motivated. Like, let's just be self-reflective. Come to ourself and say, oftentimes I love God for what I can get. And guys, I am in that same boat. I struggle with this too. Oftentimes we love God for what we can get. But then we have to turn and say, not only to understand our identity, we have to see who we are, we have to see who is God. How does the father respond to the older son? What he doesn't do is he does not differentiate 
between the squandering son and the bitter son. He gives them equal grace both. Look with me at 15, 31 to 32. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. He tenderly comes to his older son. He says, son, I still want you in the feast. I still want you in. I love you. I want to be with you. But then the story cuts off. We're left in ambiguity. My friends, I think what this is telling us about God is that God just doesn't want good people. He wants new people. He doesn't just want good people. He wants new people. He doesn't want you to simply repent of your sins so that you can be better. He wants you to repent of all the reasons that you did anything good at all before Christ. He wants you to be new again. And he doesn't want you to be better. He wants you to be new. And out of that newness, your actions change. A new compassion for others. New motivations for why you do the things that you do. New actions that are flowing out of a new heart that is changed and rooted in the love of your Father and Him sending Jesus in the indwelling, transforming power of the Holy Spirit inside of you. So step two for identity as we look to God, seeing and acknowledging that God's plan for you is to be completely new. And He is, this is the beauty of it, He is loving and gracious and compassionate enough to change you at no cost or obligation from you. Love is what transforms us. This is the way of Jesus. This is what his call is for us today, to be new again, to be renewed, to be a new person. So if you're joining us and you look over the back of the course of your life and you have not identified a moment in time where you have placed a stake in the ground and said, I choose to follow Jesus. If that is you today, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus or if you're still in that process, my invitation for you today is to come to the feast and enjoy it. You can't live in rebellion because you won't get it in the pigsty. You can't live it in religion by showing up and coming to church and doing the right things. My friends, you get it by coming to your Father, repenting and believing the gospel. The word repent means you're walking in one direction and you turn and you walk in another direction. That's what the word repentance means. And the Bible talks about this. And, and true faith is, you can remember it with an acronym, HBO. HBO, like the TV channel, okay? Um, hear it, believe it, obey it. That's what real faith is. You must hear this message. Romans talks about this. Then, then you must believe that it's true for you, which actually requires us to have an understanding of our identity that we are in need. And we need our Father to save us and change us. And then obey by making Jesus Lord over your life, by saying, Jesus, you are, I give my life to you. That is what makes you a Christian, not because you're sitting here in these chairs, not because you saw Jesus on a flannel graph and it's do you hear it? Do you believe that it's true for you and obey by making Jesus Lord of your life? That is what makes you a Christian. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus today, I want to encourage you, do not fall into the trap of trying to manipulate God by rule following. Remember, we talked about bitterness as we opened the message. This can be a source of bitterness for us when we don't get what we want. And so the invitation of Jesus is to come in and rest from all your works to celebrate Jesus and be changed by him. So the invitation for the follower of Jesus today is see where you have a love of God that simply wants things from him and is bitter and doesn't want to admit it because you're prideful. Just see it. Just acknowledge it. Repent of that. Like the younger son, come to yourself. Submit to the power of God's spirit in you. Come to your father and confess your heart before him. That say, hey, father, my heart is deceitful and I don't love you genuinely. Will you please help me? He will do that. And finally, receive how much he loves you in the midst of this.
and find rest from your work, and he will fill you with genuine, pure love for him. My friends, when we see which son we are, we can better understand our sin. We can better understand our either rebellion against God or our attempt to follow the rules and how God is uniquely calling us to lay down that part of our life for him and then come and receive the free gift of God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor on our life. That's what grace is, to change us, to be a person that's filled with a genuine love for and a love for others. God pursues us in our rebellion or our religion, and he invites us into our truest identity, being in need and seeing how our deepest need is met in the arms of a compassionate, pursuing Father. Now I see, my friends, all of this is possible because of the work of Jesus on the cross. Had he not secured our salvation, we wouldn't have the mechanism to come back to our Father. Thank you.